We're going to talk on the subject this morning of the hope of righteousness. Um, it's in the scriptures that I'm going to read, and I'm going to read from Galatians, the fifth chapter. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Galatians 5, I'll just be reading the first few verses of that particular chapter. While you're turning, I'll look to the Lord in prayer. Father, again, we thank you for the uh, beautiful day you've given us, the great time to come together, and even an extra hour of sleep. So we're thankful for how it all worked out, and we're here today to praise and worship you. So guide us through your eternal word. Holy Spirit, speak through us that we might make known the goodness of God to everybody within our earshot. And Lord, even if I don't say it right, your Holy Spirit can touch minds and hearts to make it what it should be before it reaches their ears. So bless it, we pray. May it all work to your honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians, the fifth chapter, says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised, that he be a debtor to do the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law. Ye are fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness. What was my title? The hope of righteousness. So let's go back again. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision veileth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calls you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be. Amen? So I, I took this scripture and I was mulling it over in my mind thinking on it for quite a while. And it's, Paul starts out and he says, stand fast. You know what he's saying? Don't waver. Amen? Paul uses that stand fast several times in the New Testament. I'm not going to read them all, but I can give you four scriptures here where he tells the people he's writing to, you might want to write them down and check them in your spare time or for a sideline study, but in 1 Corinthians 16 and 13... Philippians 1, 27, 1 Thessalonians 3 and 8, 2 Thessalonians 2 and 15. In all those scriptures, he's telling the ones he's writing to, whether they're Thessalonians, whether they're Corinthians, or even if they're Galatians, we need to stand fast in the things of God. Don't waver. Don't give up. Get your heart set on what God wants you to do. There are other passages where he uses the same, if you would, words, but not stand fast as a conjunction together. So when Paul writes uh, a lot of other places, he says we need to stand fast, we need to be unshaken, and not move at the things that the devil would throw your way. 
The devil just loves to see you scared. He wants to see you shake. He wants to see you go into the corner and try to hide or uh, get you off track in the things that God has shown you. If everything around you moves you, Paul says that you're still a babe and need to be fed milk and not strong drink. Amen? But when you take the truth of the gospel as a strong meal and stand fast in benefit of what we should be doing for God, um, the two witnesses will be the ones that are leading you into the will of God for your life. Once we've settled our destiny with God and have tasted how good God is, the stage should be set for us to stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. Do you like freedom? Do you like liberty? That sure beats bondage and confinement. I do know that because I've been in both places. Now Paul speaks about being free or being at liberty in Christ because it's a full-time job to keep the devil at bay in your life. If he's not knocking on the front door, he's trying the windows and the back door, somehow or another, he wants to get a foothold in your life. He wants to feed you a little bit of something, and he's even going to try to tempt you with, oh, this is so nice, you'll like it so much, and look how many others are doing it. Uh-huh. Well, if they're jumping off the bridge, I'm not. Amen? So it's a full-time job to watch out for the temptations and the trials that would lead us away from the freedoms of eternity and put us into the bondage of this world. Amen? I know the devil can offer you a happy time or good times or whatever he wants to call them. Every one of his happinesses or joys or whatever he wants to offer you are temporary. Did you know that? Because once you leave this world, the devil no longer can tempt you. Amen. Now, if you follow him, once you leave this world, you get to live with him all, that, all the rest of eternity. But it won't be the time that you're expecting, and we spoke on that last week. Amen. So once you get entangled uh, in that, what the, he's talking about here, the yoke of bondage, that's when you're going to be uh, following where you don't want to go. Now, remember that yoke. I want to do it better, but I tried. But the world and the devil and my so-called friends hooked up with me, yoked up with me, and they led me in the ways they thought I needed to go, but not in the truth of the gospel. Anybody that's yoked up is not yoked up by themselves. Can I tell you something? There's an old saying, you're not an island to yourself in this world. All of us can uh, uh, get through life better if we've got help. Amen? Some of us are yoked in marriage. Some are yoked to our children. Some are yoked to their jobs. But we're all yoked in one way or another. Once you're yoked to bondage, though, bondage has more influence over you than you probably really want to let that bondage have. 
your efforts are always to pull towards that bondage. You know what a yoke is, don't you? That's where they put two horses or two cows or two oxen or something in that shape. With, they put it around both of their necks, and where one goes, the other one ain't any choice. They've, they've got to work together. And uh, when one pulls left, they both got to go left. When one pulls forward, they both got to go forward. When one stops, they both stop. And so they're not much uh, use to the person that's trying to use them when they stop doing what they do. Now remember how hard it once was for you when you worked with the enemy that was pulling you in the wrong direction in your life. All of us have been there. I know how many times my heart was broken over the fact that I was pulled in a direction in my life that I knew I shouldn't go. But what did I do? I went, the, what you'd say, the path of least resistance sometimes. Well, that's what a yoke will do for you. And the enemy will take you in the wrong direction in your soul. You wanted to do better, but as you pulled the yoke, they pulled harder on the other side. Amen? So the, your life was, if you would, throttled by those around you or those that had a yoke in your life. But I'm so thankful for the grace of God. I could set aside the yoke that had me going in the wrong direction and now I can have the power to put on a different yoke and be walked, with, walked in step with Jesus Christ. Amen? So you get out of the bondage that you were in and you get yoked up with Christ. That's what he said in Matthew 11. Let me read that real quick. Matthew 11. Verse 28. That's not right. I thought that's Mark. No wonder. Matthew 11. I got a new Bible. Just give me a little time. Matthew 11. He says in verse 27. Well, let's just read 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now that's the truth that Jesus wants you to be yoked up with him and his yoke. That's not the yoke the devil would try to put on you. His burden and his light is of a different category. He wants to take you down the wrong paths while Christ wants you to lead you into the ways that the gospel would have us to go. I remember me reading that port portion of scripture when I was a young convert. And it really opened my eyes to what and who I was competing against in this world for my efforts that I was putting into this world. They put a lot of effort in this world in a wrong direction. Hmm? Man, when I was in my younger years, I had a lot of spunk and vinegar. Amen? And I burned myself out for whatever cause I could come up with, and most of them led me nowhere. Amen? But when I got the, in, in, into the Word of God and read about being yoked up with Christ, oh, the light went off. Time for me to change yokes. It's bad enough to have to go to work every day. So why not work for the one that gives you the best payday? Right? Hmm? 
Have you ever had to change jobs? Why did you do it? Oh, they pay $3 an hour more. Or they have better benefits. Amen. Let me give you an example. Why would you work for $3 an hour and no benefits and work for the devil when you could work with Jesus and he pays $30 an hour with all the benefits and heaven for a retirement plan? Well, that's an easy choice, right? But yet there are people that will fall for what the devil's trying to do to them to keep them where they should be. Amen? Well, Paul is always interested in giving us counsel that will keep us straight. Um, let me give you Paul's example of that in 2 Corinthians 6.14. That's just a few pages over. Somewhere. <laughs> he says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? Is there any? What, does, what fellowship does light and darkness have? Nah. What communion has light and darkness? What concord has Christ with Belial? And what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? That's why I knew about Belial. Amen. We brought him up in Sunday school. Amen. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? The answer to all these is none. There is no agreement. You're going the wrong way. You've got to choose one or the other. Amen. It's one thing to live for God, but yet you've got to cut all the ties with the things that are working against Christ. Amen. So in verse 20, or 17, he says, Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate. Get away from Belial. Get away from unrighteousness. Get away from darkness. Get away from all that. And be what Christ wants you to be, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I'll receive you, and I'll be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. He wants us to do right. But we have to make the right choices. Now back into the Galatians, the fifth chapter, verse 2, Paul tells about tells the Galatians about what we might call the Old Testament law. This is a portion of it, and I'll, I'll uh, broaden out into it and make it really clear here in just a little bit. But here he's talking about in the Old Testament law, and it's namely circumcision. You know, to be a good Jew in the Old Testament, you was to be circumcised, okay? I don't understand all that per se. I do understand it in a way, but uh, to me that sounds sexist. But uh, I just don't think that's the way God deals with his people. So when we're talking about circumcision here, we're talking here namely about the law. Okay? So in this, if you would read it, you would, say, saying, you would think Paul is against the law in the Old Testament, but he's not. Let's go follow it through. I have no problem keeping the commandment set forth in the Old Testament law but the law was a guide to the relationship to God for people in that time. But Christ came to fulfill the law. Those laws that Jesus upheld are still applicable. You know the Ten Commandments? Those were laws. You know what? You would be a better person if you kept all ten of them. Huh? 
And only nine of them is the way I understand it or even in effect right now. The one that I don't think uh, Jesus upheld was remember the Sabbath. Keep it home. You know why? He was always in trouble with the scribes and Pharisees for breaking that one. And the Bible says Jesus didn't sin. So that lets me know that there must have been a, a change in attitude somewhere along the line as new understanding came along those lines that what God wanted uh, the people to follow what they do. Now, it's still good if we're yoked up with Christ and follow these laws that he wants us to follow from the Old Testament. But being yoked with Christ gets us free from the laws that were attached to the flesh. See, a lot of the law in the Old Testament was fleshly driven and not spiritually driven. Amen? Circumcision was one way that God used to sanctify his people. But that was before we could come to grace through Jesus Christ. And to set up what we would say and be free from the law of the flesh. Huh? You know the flesh won't get you through to heaven, don't you? You know that? You can work all you want. Do the best you can in your flesh. Because the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, that we're saved by grace through faith, not of works. Works won't get it done. Amen. There's more to that, but that's close enough. Once circumcised in the Old Testament, always circumcised. Once you were circumcised, you couldn't be uncircumcised. Huh? Why? Because that's a work of the flesh. You got that? But we're all under grace and not under the law of the flesh. Our daily walk with God calls for us to be spiritually disciplined and we walk to the writings of the Spirit on our heart and not to the writings that God put on some tables of stone. Amen? Don't forget those thoughts God wrote on the stones because they were important and he still um, wants us to uphold a lot of them. But we live by the ones that God writes on our hearts in the New Testament. The law said don't steal. Don't lie. Don't commit adultery. Don't covet. And Jesus said all those same things again in the New Testament. He was against them just as much in the New Testament as they were in the Old Testament. Amen? But grace is applied to your spirit. So now you don't have to look at a tablet that you've got posted on the wall to see what you should or shouldn't do. It should be written on your heart. He's going to write on the fleshly tables of your heart what he wants your spirit to follow. Amen? So if you apply grace to your life, are you going to want to commit adultery? No. Are you going to want to steal? No. You want to lie? Cover No, 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 no. Same thing, right? I care if my teeth don't fall out. All right, but here we go. God is still teaching us, but he's not doing it by the letter of the law. He's doing it through the spirit of grace to keep us walking where he wants us to go. So as well as... Um, we want to praise God for everything he's done and for the victory that the law brought, if you would, even in our flesh. There are victories that we can have in our flesh, but that's not what keeps us on track with God. Amen? It's what we do in our spirit and in our heart. 
We don't need to, well, we do need to know the truth about the law. And we need to know the truth about grace. Look at verse number four. For price has become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law. If you're counting on the law getting you through, it won't work. Because you're not under the law anymore. What are we under? Well, verse 4 says, you're fallen from grace if you think that. You're under grace nowadays. Wouldn't it be something to live all your life for God and then at the end give in to flesh? And he says, you're fallen from grace? Huh. Wow. I would not, wouldn't like that idea. Because at that point, he says, Christ has become of no effect unto you. And if you consider the flesh and the law the guides to your life, Paul says, you've fallen from grace. You need to get back up, start over, get everything straightened out. So if you're fallen from grace, the old saying, once in grace, always in grace, Hmm, that don't hold water according to this teaching. Amen. Because what Paul is saying, if you line up with the truth, you got to stay with the truth. Amen. It's not just a one-time shot like circumcision or any other law. You keep it once and you're good for life. No, that's not the way grace operates. Amen. And so it seems here that once in grace doesn't seem to line up with the truth that Paul was inspired to send not only to us, but even to the Galatians in the, first in the first century to let them know how God wanted to deal with their hearts. Amen. That was one of the rules of circumcision. Once you were circumcised, you couldn't go back. You can't go back to uncircumcision, not in the flesh. If your heart and your life don't reflect that you were circumcised, in your heart you're not going to know how to live for God. Paul says that in Romans, let me read that to you in Romans, the second chapter. It's just a few pages over. About circumcision. What's it all about? Circumcision in 225. For circumcision verily profiteth. If thou keep the law... But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcised keep the righteousness of the law, uh-oh, there's the righteousness again, shall not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter of circumcision doth transgress the law? Now catch in there, verse 28 and 29 real quick. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not of the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. So whether you're circumcised in the flesh or not has nothing to do nowadays with your relationship with God. You have to be circumcised at heart. And I hear people all the time, they don't understand end time prophecies and a lot of things. Oh, all the Jews are going to go back to Jerusalem. Well, who's the Jew? 
He just told us. You're not a Jew just because you were circumcised in the flesh. You're a Jew today if you're circumcised at heart and walking with the yoke of Jesus Christ in, on your life. That's what's important nowadays. Now Paul, many times in his writing in the New Testament, uses the circumcision to show man's connections to God. But that worked in some extent in the Old Testament. But now in the New Testament, it's the Spirit that directs our lives in Christ and not in the flesh. And a lot of times other places in the New Testament, Paul used meat. You ever read through there and says, don't eat this meat or don't eat on this day and that day? Well, Paul used that because that's the way it was in the Old Testament, just like circumcision. There were certain meats they couldn't eat. It was against uh, the rules or the law or however. Uh, well, what's he say about it in the New Testament? Eat it all, and I do. But do it with thanksgiving to God. Amen? It don't matter. You like turkey? Fine, eat it. But be thankful to God. Amen? You like steak? Venison? It don't make any difference. Whatever you eat in the New Testament, Paul said just give thanks for it and enjoy it. And there are people, even in the first century, that Paul had to deal with in other writings, where they used meat that was offered to idols. And sometimes they would make an offer of meat to a devil idol. And then they would offer that meat to you so that you would feel like you just offered to the devil. And Paul said, well, if that makes you stumble, don't eat the meat. Amen? Amen? But if you don't know what the meat was offered to, just eat it and be happy and don't even question it, he said. So they can use circumcisions or meats, anything that would tie the law to you in the flesh so that they can put you in bondage as to what you eat and how you act. That's what that was all about. So Paul says, don't do that. Amen? Because we, we have uh, in the New Testament laws and the Spirit. And in verse 9, Paul even goes so far as to use leaven. Because in the Old Testament, leaven was something that God set up in their Passover meal. They weren't supposed to eat any for a week. Now they could eat it 51 weeks a year. But the week of Passover, they were supposed to get rid of all the leaven. And guess what? If it came to the Passover week and you was found eating leaven, you was unclean for that Passover. Huh, what strict rules is that? And does that make sense that you can eat it 51 weeks and not 52? Eh, that don't make a whole lot of sense. But it did to the Jews because God set it up that way. Now, did it mean anything to Jesus? Well, do you know what he was talking about one day? They were going out and away, and Jesus turned to his disciples, and they were going on a journey, and he turned to them, and he said, Beware of the leaven of the scribes and Pharisees. And all 12 of them looked at each other like, What in the world is he talking about? And he said, No. And they all thought, It's because they forgot to take bread for the journey. They didn't bring enough bread. They're going to have to have a different kind of meal this week because they don't have any bread. And Jesus said, no, I'm talking about don't follow in the footsteps of the scribes and Pharisees. Don't follow their sin patterns. Leaven in the New Testament is a spiritual application to sin. We'll get into that a little bit later on. 
But look at, at verse number five with me there. It says four. You know what four means, don't you? What's it mean? Four is another word for because. You can always substitute because for four. That's one of our study words. Amen? Because we walk through the Spirit and wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Amen? There you go. That's what we're talking about. Now we need to focus in on the hope of righteousness by faith. Because that's a New Testament term that should be written on your heart. You see, if you were circumcised as a baby, you probably didn't have any say in that. As a matter of fact, they put it in to make sure they did get all the Jew babies circumcised, that they did it and put it into practice and made it a law, which God never did. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, all those in the temple did. You got to circumcise your boy babies on the eighth day. All right? And that's when you name them. Amen? That's when you give them a name. What their name's going to be? I don't know if they had birth certificates or not, but if they didn't make it to the eighth day, they didn't even get a name. Nor did they get circumcised. Huh. But if they made it to the eighth day, they were to be taken to the temple. They were to be circumcised and given a name. How about that? Now, at eight days old, how much choice do you have over what's going on in your life? No, not a whole lot. You just know whether your diaper's dirty and whether you're hungry. Amen? That's all the eight-day-old babies know anymore. Amen? So they had no say in that, but that's the way the law was written. Amen? But when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's always by choice. There is nobody holds a gun to your head and says, you got to get saved. Huh? I've never heard of that. Amen? No, it's your choice. Amen? And there may be people all around you when you make that choice that disagrees with that choice. That doesn't affect you. You know why? Because you have a hope in the righteousness that you want to attain. Amen? So here we go. If you accept Christ, it's your choice, and the hope of righteousness is waiting for you. Do you know what the hope of righteousness is in a nutshell? That's heaven eternally. Amen? You know how I know that? Because you could be righteous today and unrighteous tomorrow. Hmm. So if you're going to be, have the hope of righteousness, it has to be something that carries through at the end of the, the day when God calls us all home. The Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. Amen? So, we need to live by grace, uh, by faith, and put hope in our righteousness. Now, since we can fall from grace, we can live by hope. Amen? Let me help you see this a little bit clearer in the teachings of Christ. Back in Matthew, the 25th chapter, I'm not, I don't know, I'll read a couple of verses, but I don't want to go too long there, but Matthew 25, Jesus is telling his disciples, he's coming again. I'm going to die, but don't worry about it, I'm coming back. Amen. Amen? So when he says, I'm coming back, he wants them to be ready for him when he comes back. In verse number 31, it says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. 
That's at his second coming. Did you know he's coming a second time? Now he's not coming to earth, but he is coming back and we're going to meet him in the clouds is what the Bible teaches. And he says in verse 32, and before him shall be gathered all nations. How many is all? Okay. All nations are going to be gathered and he's going to separate them one from the other just as a shepherd divides his sheep from his goats. Now how good of a shepherd do you got to be to know the difference between a sheep and a goat? Hmm. Eh, they're pretty much different. They eat different. They act different. They run around different. They're just totally different. That's like saying the difference between a cat and a dog. Surely you know the difference, right? Well, guess what? At Christ's coming, God's going to separate the sheep from the goats. Now, what will he do that for? Because their next stop is one of two places for eternity. You know what those two places are, don't you? Amen. Amen. One of them is the hope of your righteousness. How do I know that? Well, let me tell you the rest of the story here. After he separates them, they're going to complain about where they're separated and which way they're going. He says, how do I know which one goes where? Well, just God knows a sheep from a goat. <coughs> Excuse me. And he says, well, what if I was sick? Did you feed me or help me? Was I hungry and thirsty? Did you come to me? Was I in prison and you visited me? And they'll say, hmm, when did we do that? He said, when you did it to the least of these. Okay, now, you don't have to visit somebody in prison, but you need to be willing to do it if God calls you to do it. Let me get a drink here real quick. All right, so the same is said of those that didn't. He said, when did I see you there and didn't go to you? He said, well, I'll tell you how it was when you didn't do it to the least of these. Now, you know the scripture, right? So I don't have to read that. <coughs> then down in verse 36 is the separation. 46, I'm sorry. Verse 46. And he talked, well, let me read 45. Then shall they answer and say, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you did it not to the least of these, you did it not to me. And these that didn't do it, didn't do what God asked them to do, where are they going? They're going to go into everlasting punishment with the goats. But who gets to go the other place? The righteous into life eternal. You know, the only requirement to get into heaven is that you have to be righteous. <gasps> That's true. Now, there's a lot that goes into being a righteous individual. Amen. And it starts with a whole lot of different things that we need to come to terms with. And if God calls you to, to help people that are hungry and thirsty and in prison, uh, you need to step up to the plate because that all adds to your righteousness. But on the last day, verse 46, is the final saying. That's it. That's when the separation takes place. Amen. Until then, we can only hope that our righteousness carries us through. Amen. So when we get this all under control, God then can justify the separation of between those that do his will and don't do his will. Amen. I've heard people give me all the excuses that they're going to say on the final judgment and God's not going to hear any of it. It's over with before you have a chance to say, I object. He's going to say, this isn't the court of law. It's already determined which way you're going based on how you live. Amen. Some did his will 
Some didn't do his will. Those that failed, in verse 46, either found their punishment, but, it says, what's that mean? On the other hand, the righteous go into life eternal. I like the idea when I, I might put a screen back here so I can see what you're seeing. These go in, away into everlasting punishment and then there's a colon. You know what that means? Add to that, but, or the other side of the coin, that's one of the study words, the righteous into life, ever, life eternal. Amen? How about that stuff? Well, which side of the thing do you want to be on? So who's going to heaven eternally? The righteous. Those that did his will. But since Jesus has not yet returned, we only are the one who is hoping that righteousness will find us when God does call us home at the final judgment. Amen? All right. By faith, now we follow the two witnesses. Who are the two witnesses? God's Word and God's Spirit. That's the two agents that Jesus left on earth for us to follow till he comes back. So he's expecting us to follow those until we make heaven our eternal home. You see, no one is guaranteed of heaven because if you yield to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, if you've repented, if you've confessed your sins, if you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, because it ain't over yet, you can't say, I'm going to heaven just yet. It's a great start. It is important. It's something we should all do. But we still have to aspire, if you would, to make sure that your hope is of the righteousness that God wants you to have. Amen? You know what righteousness means? You just did the right thing. That's all it means. It's a word of right wiseness put together and called righteousness. Amen? So if you do what's right, God can reward you for that. Amen? Amen. He even gives us the confidence that heaven will be a reality. But we're only saved if we endure to the end. Matthew 10, 22 says, He that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. Amen? So you need to endure to the end. That's why Paul says, wait. We got to do some waiting in this. We got to rejoice in our hope and wait for the final victory when God says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen. Well, let's wrap it up. Verse 6. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision. So no matter which way of the law you want to follow, it doesn't give you a heads up on any of that. What does? Verse 6 says, faith which worketh by love. That's the difference. We're saved by faith, through faith, by grace, it says in the scripture. Amen? So whether you're circumcised or not, who cares? Don't matter. You got no advantage. You ain't got anything to do with it. That's just fleshly. Amen? Amen. But what matters is, is your heart and your spirit, by faith, a work of love 
in what Christ has asked you to do. Amen. And then we got to keep it up until we have the reality of the hope of our righteousness eternal at the second coming of Jesus Christ. Amen. So don't slow down. Remember he said to stand fast. First two words in this chapter. Don't slow down. Don't quit. Don't waver. And don't lose your hope. Amen. Because in verse number 7, he tells these guys in Galatia, you did run well. What happened? Why aren't you running as well as you used to run? Amen. I even say it this way. If you're not as close to God as you used to be, who moved? Amen. You have to understand God's there to help us. And we have to understand that we still got to do our part till he comes for us. He says, who did hinder you? Not what. See, when I talk to people as to why they're not a Christian and why they were still doing whatever they're doing or even those that have, if you would, walked away from the church or walked away from God. And I ask them, what happened? They start giving me all these excuses. I didn't have enough money or I, I got into trouble here. Or I, I enjoyed this and I like the party life. And I, I, I. No, he says, who did hinder you? Huh, you know who that would be? Oh, either yourself or the devil. That's the only two that can influence your choices. Who did hinder you? Amen. It was whoever you got yoked up with again. Amen. It'll cost you your hope and heaven eternally if you change yokes even after you've been yoked with Christ. See, you can change yokes from being yoked to Christ back to be yoked to this world or the devil just the same as you can change from the yoke that the devil put you in originally into being the Christian Christ asked you to be and you got yoked up with him. Anyone or anything that tells you it's okay to back off or just enjoy a little bit of sin, it's not your friend. Amen. Oh, a little bit won't hurt you. How many times have I heard that? Oh, one time's not a big deal. Hmm. I don't find that in the scriptures anywhere. Amen. So in verse number 8, he says that this persuasion comes not from him that called you. That's not what God says. God doesn't say, oh, a little bit won't hurt. He didn't say, just try it once. Let's see what you think. Oh, it's going to be so much fun. Hey, man, everybody else is doing it. No. In verse 8, he said, this is not from God, and it's not of Christ, and it's not of the two witnesses. If that choice has to come from outside influence and come through your heart and your mind to make those judgments. Amen? So, because a little leaven works just like a little, or he says a little sin works just like, let me read that in verse 9, little leaven, leaven at the whole lump. You know what leaven is? Well, I can describe it to you. The best I can do is when they make dough to make bread, they put leaven in that, and it's just a little powdery stuff or something, and we would call it today, we'd call it yeast. And when you're making dough, of those of you that know how to make bread, I don't, I buy mine at Kroger, but when I get bread, 
you make the dough out of flour and water and I don't know, eggs, I don't know what the hell, that's a cake though, wouldn't it? That'd be a cake, that wouldn't be bread. But whatever it is, then they put a little yeast in it. Now you don't bake it right away. You put it in there and you cover it and you put it in the refrigerator and chill it down. And what's it do? It gets bigger. Huh. Guess what happens to the little sin in your life when you just let it settle in there? Cover over it. Let it have its way in your life. It gets bigger. It affects everything. And once you put the leaven in the dough, you can't get it out. You can't see it. It's absorbed. It just becomes part of it. The same is true of sin in your life. You put a little in, you try to cover it all you want. Mm, it just becomes part of you. You can't get rid of it. The only solution for sin is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. So now we've got to go back and do our first works over. Get ourselves in line with what Christ has for us to do. Amen. So when we find out leaven is just, if you would, a spiritual representation to sin in your life, that's the way it works. It just all blends in, just feels so comfortable. You think you're growing so much because you have so much liberty, and you don't know, in the meantime, all you've done is change yokes. Now you're yoked to sin instead of the righteousness that you, God wants you to have. Amen. Once, it in, once it's in there, you can't get it out by yourself. Amen. That's how sin gets in even Christians. It's little at the first. So if ever you hear the words, a little bit won't hurt, that's a lie. Amen. And Paul lets us know it will ruin your life. Because it will rob you of the hope of your righteousness. And the devil is in the background laughing at you when you think, oh, I can just get by with a little bit. Nobody will notice. Huh? You know, God notices even in the dark places of your life when you're doing things that you shouldn't be doing. He does me. Amen. Amen. What's a good clue to that? You know, when you get something on your phone you shouldn't be looking at, and you just hold on to it. I'll look at that later. A little bit won't hurt. Huh. Well, when you pull it up the second time, guess what? It'll get a hold of you. And God will say, uh-uh, you can't do that. You know what he'll probably do? He'll probably lay your phone down somewhere and somebody will say, what are you looking at that for? Ah, oh, you've been uncovered now, huh? God has a way of letting you know that's not the way he operates. Now let me read verse 10 and then we'll close it out. Paul said to the Galatians, I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be. So if anybody tries to get you a little leaven, a little sin, or tell you a little bit won't hurt, God's going to judge them. Amen? But now you have the ultimate say in this. Amen? And Paul says, I've got confidence in you. You're going to do it right. 
I hope every one of you, every choice you make this week, make a right choice. Amen. Every time the devil tempts you to sin or whatever, go a way that you know the Spirit of God says, don't go that way. And the devil tells you, oh, it won't hurt nothing. Make the right choice. Paul says, I got confidence in you. You're going to do it right. Amen. Amen? And everybody that's trying to get you not to do right, they're going to have to stand before God. And what is their hope of righteousness? It's gone. Amen? And Jesus told his disciples, hey, don't you hinder the little children that want to come unto me. It'd be better for you if you had a millstone tied around your neck and you throwed in the ocean to drown. Amen? Well, guess what? God's going to cover anybody that has done wrong and wants to get their life straightened out. God will make sure your choices are what they need to be. Amen? Don't let anybody fool you. Amen. Don't give up. Stand firm. Stand fast. And live for God. And you'll have the hope of righteousness. Amen. And remember, Jesus never said it'd be easy. Just worth it. Let us.